If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 144, Evolution. Welcome to another edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Almost every week, we devote ourselves to one Star Trek story, taking it apart from messages, morals, meanings, and other things that start with them, mentally making the case for whether it'll make it through the millennia. That's momentous. I know, right? This week, evolution. Actually, contact information, then trivia, then evolution. If you would like to get in touch with us, do it. Mission Log Pod also starts with them, by the way, and it is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. That handle again, Mission Log Pod. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can call us, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents and all kinds of fun stuff, is at missionlogpodcast.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. This statement not evaluated by the FDA. This product not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Though rumor has it they might. They, they could. <laughs> I don't want to make any promises, but oh. I heard tell a one guy. <laughs> All right, Ken. Uh, today's show, Evolution, I have got, I've just got so much trivia. I hope you're taking notes. You always uh, do, right? Uh, I, on I the trivia? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you've got a big notebook. You're writing all of this stuff. Exactly. Like, I can't right? even hear you over the scratching of my pencil. Okay. Well, here we go, Ken. Today's show was directed by Wienrich Kolbe, a familiar name. And uh, we mentioned in our review of Shades of Grey that uh, Maurice Hurley was on his way out and had brought in his friend Michael Piller. Uh, so this episode gives Piller a credit for the teleplay and story along with Michael Wagner. Um and we also mentioned that this was not the first episode of season three to be filmed. If you want more in the background of why that is, please check out our interview with Will Wheaton. He has uh, some words to say about how that played out. Now, um, Ken, back when we started Next Gen, um, I got email from people saying, how could you not mention the costumes? And I wrote back to them saying, there's nothing to mention about the costumes Yet, But here we are at the beginning of season three, and there's something to mention about the costumes. There is a change. We go from the one-piece spandex jumpsuit to the two-piece Mandarin-style collar wool gabardine, not spandex. So a very different look, a little more, I don't know, I would say formal, a little more militaristic with that Mandarin collar. It's a nice-looking change. Still some of the old ones that are around. You see them in the background from time to time. And um, this is also the very first appearance of the Picard Maneuver. 
in the prologue to this episode. And, and now that I've mentioned it, you can't unsee it every single time it happens. I thought we, I thought it had happened before. I mean, I know it was not a two-piece uniform, but I thought we had actually seen uh, we had seen Patrick Stewart do that before. Did he, did he tug his spandex? Because that would be, yeah. Well, it'd be, that, it'd it'd be, be weird, but I want to say somebody be, actually wrote yeah. to us and said, hey, the Picard maneuver. I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk that up as not an official Picard maneuver. All right. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna chalk it up as the the Picard move, but not the Picard maneuver. This is the official Picard maneuver when you got that two piece, and Riker does it a couple of times too. Uh, but let's talk about that change, why it happened. So um, spandex is very uncomfortable, <laughs> is very stretchy, but is very tight, and they made the costumes about a size too small for everybody, so there would be no wrinkles because. Dear listener, in the 24th century, there are no wrinkles on anything. And uh, cast members complained. In particular, uh, Patrick Stewart complained. He has related this story at conventions about how he was experiencing back pain. He had talked to his doctor, and they said, look, this costume is pulling you down. Uh, so a lot of people over the last couple of years who had complained about it, their voices were heard, and we got all new costumes for the main crew in this episode and going forward. So this is a good time to talk about that personnel change. So um, Bill Tice, William Ware Tice, who was the costume designer for Star Trek on TV since the very beginning. Um, now, he officially left after season one of Next Gen, and uh, he, among many cast, well, crew members who uh, cited kind of a toxic relationship with Leonard Mazelish, who we've mentioned on our show before. Um, but Tice's influence was still on uh, season two, since it was mostly his crew and his co-worker, uh, Dorinda Wood, who were doing the work. Um, now, he won an Emmy for The Big Goodbye, and he was nominated for Elementary Dear Data. And uh, Tice died from AIDS-related complications in 1992. Interestingly, he kept many of his original designs, and all were auctioned off after his death. So now to the show, we welcome Bob Blackman, or Robert Blackman. He was also a friend of Dorinda Wood, and she recommended him for the position in costuming for Next Gen. Now, Blackman will be around for Trek for a very long time to come, so we will see a lot of his work. And prior to Star Trek, you might recognize his work in The Running Man. Also, another big crew change, a big welcome here, Marvin V. Rush. Um, Ken, I am a huge fan of Marvin Rush. He is the DP, the director of photography on this show going forward and on many other great shows. Um, in fact, one that is a little more recent than Star Trek The Next Generation, Hell on Wheels, one of the best looking shows mm. on TV. And that is because of him. Um, and so, you can, I mean, forgive yeah. me, mm -hmm. you're kind of... Um Oh, you're, well, you're kind of a geek about this kind of thing, but <laughs> right. you can tell from the prologue that something has changed in the production of this mm -hmm. show. I mean, there, yeah. there is, and maybe it's oh, we're establishing shots because we're back to season three, and you know, here's our here's our crew that we've become familiar with, and here's the ship you've become familiar with. But even the fact that they use the establishing shots and the way and and the way they were shot, I mean. A lot of times, it feels like they sort of set up a camera on a tripod and let the actors act in front of it. Uh, the camera was was more was more of a tool in this yeah. episode, it seemed. 
Very much so. So let's let's talk about some of those terms, some of the things that we see happening that, that's very different. Um, much better use of depth of field. Um, rack focus, for those who don't know, is when the the camera stays in position but changes focus from the foreground to the background or or vice versa. And you see that a few times on the bridge and in other shots here. And the lighting, the lighting has changed considerably here. We went from I would say an overbright look in season one to sometimes too dark in season two. And now it feels natural and kind of just right. So they, they found their sweet spot here. And, um, you know, compared to a lot of shows in the 60s and 70s, you look at the original Star Trek, which is very stylized with that, that bright light right on Shatner's eyes, <laughs> you know. And then you look at shows in the 70s where there was a lot of very flat white lighting. And for TV, they would do that so you could change setups without changing the lighting position. But in this, you can tell they're back to treating it a little more cinematic. Um, so I love seeing that change. Um, we also get some new sets in this episode. Uh, the computer core, which is really cool. Um, we have a lab for Wesley to work in, which we've seen that medical lab before, but we get to see a little more of it here. Uh, so he gets to work there and, and apparently sleep there and, and eat there. Um, there is a, uh, there's a reference to a system-wide computer failure on a starship 79 years ago in this episode. And Ken, I did the math. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that I could come up with that we know that happened 79 years prior to the events of this episode was Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. So it wasn't a computer going haywire in that incident. There has to be something else that happened somewhere else. But that's a little point of reference for you to get an idea of when they were talking about. And uh, finally, let's talk about some guest stars here. So Ken Jenkins plays Dr. Stubbs. And you've seen Jenkins in a lot of guest star roles on TV. But I think the one that probably stands out the most to me is his portrayal of Dr. Bob Kelso, the chief of staff on Scrubs. You know, I kept, hilarious. I kept trying to figure out if there was a way that we could do sort of the Scrubs thing for this show. <laughs> where yeah. we would just stop and something crazy would happen and then we would, you know, come right back into the show. The only problem is uh, it's audio, not video. So it was kind of harder to... Uh, Harder yeah. to think of something, but yeah, I wanted to I wanted to do a hats off to the Scrubs thing because yeah, 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 and he well, was good on that show too. We'll sing a song later about being bros. How's that? <laughs> Whatever, um, man. All right, <laughs> or I'll uh, just have... make up a URL. What, what, what was Todd's URL? I can't oh, remember. Yeah. Anyway, yeah we'll, yeah, we'll we'll come up with something, or we won't. <laughs> all right, we have a small role here played by Natalie Wood. Not that. Natalie Wood. This is a different Natalie Wood. Um, she's at the tactical station on the bridge, brunette, curly hair. So that is Bailey, and we will see her in many more episodes of Next Gen, though she is never named. Um, these are her only acting credits as doing background work for this show, but she has a massive career behind the scenes as a makeup artist, including some of that time on Deep Space Nine. And another very interesting cameo here is Wesley's date at the very end of the episode. We should have seen much more of her, uh, but those scenes ended up on the cutting floor. The character is named Annette and was played by Amy O'Neill. She was the older daughter in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Fun fact. While this episode begins the third season of The Next Generation, it is also the start of the eighth season covered by Mission Log, including three for the original series, and two for the cartoons. Plus, we went to the movies.
dog. Wake from your slumber, gentle viewer and Denton Crusher. Sleep time is over, and season three of Star Trek The Next Generation is underway. Wes fell asleep at his work table, no doubt pulling an all-nighter working on some amazing experiment. His sleep is interrupted by Commander Riker. You're supposed to be on the bridge, little dreamer. That's where we find Dr. Paul Stubbs. He's leading the Enterprise on a study of something that's going to happen in a binary star system. What it is doesn't really matter, except that the particular phenomenon that they are here to study only happens every 196 years. Stubbs has been working on this mission for the past 20 years, and he needs for nothing to go wrong. Cue something going wrong. As they prepare to launch a probe, you can call it the egg, the Enterprise rocks, shimmies, shakes, systems are going haywire, and the ship is headed for a whole heap of stellar matter as we head to the opening credits. Act 1. The Enterprise is going to crash into... Oh, never mind. Yeah, the ship hits the stellar matter to basically no effect. Systems are back under control, so... That was anticlimactic. Picard asks the computer to explain the malfunction in the system, so the computer says there was no malfunction. Dr. Stubbs was banged up a bit during the incident, but he'll be fine. He's being tended to by Dr. Pallet... Oh, oh, oh. Sorry, Dr. Beverly Crusher is back aboard the Enterprise. Her son Wes tells Stubbs that they can try laying the egg again whenever he's ready. Stubbs takes Wes along to make sure that it's good to go. And now the food slot in sickbay is acting haywire, though the computer says it's functioning properly. Geordi will work on tracking down what the heck is going on. In the captain's ready room, Dr. Crusher is feeling a bit of angst about her relationship with Wes, something that came up during her conversation with Wes and Stubbs. Picard says Wes seems totally fine. Dr. Crusher is concerned that he's actually too fine, that he's a better Starfleet officer than he is a kid. Cut to Wes and Stubbs studying the egg. By the way, says Stubbs, life's gonna suck for you. You're a wunderkind, a golden boy. I know, I was one. The expectations hanging on you will never go away. Get used to pressure, kid. You will never come up against a greater adversary than your own potential. All of a sudden, red alert. West tells Stubbs to get back to his quarters. On the bridge, Warp says the Enterprise is about to be attacked by the Borg. Sensors say so. They're firing on the Enterprise, except... There's nothing there. And the ship is going haywire again. The computer is pretty non-responsive, replying to commands with chess moves. The ship is rocking. All engines are down. As are shields. Act 2. Stubbs, who's been totally cool through the various incidents, is getting a little less so. The Enterprise is looking at the possibility of a systems failure in the ship's computer, something that hasn't happened in 79 years. Picard says they'll do everything they can to carry out the experiment, though Stubbs is not impressed. If they miss this, they'll have to wait 200 years for another shot. Picard says his first responsibility is to his ship and his crew. So there. Stubbs says he would rather die than leave. Then he leaves. In the room. And Counselor Troy says he's not kidding. He's put his entire self-worth on the results of this experiment. He means it when he says he would rather die than leave. In engineering, Geordi says it looks like part of the ship's computer is disintegrating. If he didn't know better, he would think that someone had climbed in and taken it apart. Wes looks worried. Remember when he fell asleep at his work desk? Turns out he fell asleep with a jar of nanites open. Those are medical robots, smaller than a human blood cell. Wes was working on modifying two of them for a school project. He suspects they've gotten away and may be screwing up the Enterprise. Oh, he doesn't tell Geordi this, of course. He tells Guinan, though he says he will tell the crew. 
You know, if it turns out it was the nanites. Act 3. The computer is really messed up. It's obviously been tampered with, though they'll try to complete Stubbs' experiment. It takes about 30 seconds to realize that that is not going to happen. They need to figure out what's happened to the computer and get out of this star system. Otherwise, the phenomenon they came to study will kill them. In the cargo bay, Stubbs is talking baseball. He likes to think about it. A lot. Sort of his reward for thinking about other things the rest of the time. And it's kind of like what he does, too. Slow, methodical, full of facts and figures. And in the end, call your shot and hit it out of the park. It'll stink if this game is postponed 196 years on account of rain. In his quarters, Wes is sifting through the traps he set for the escaped nanites. He seems to have found some when in comes his mom. You're working too hard. You're just a kid. You're kind of being a tool. Wes says he's done everything he can. Everything everybody wants. And besides, what would she know about him? She's been gone for a year. Ouch. Dr. Crusher says she's here now. She'll help him. And he finally fesses up. In the ready room, Dr. Crusher is explaining nanites to everyone, including Dr. Stubbs. Data says the nanites on the screen are not normal nanites. Dr. Crusher agrees. These nanites have evolved thanks to Wesley's experimentation. They're reproducing and getting better as they go. Well, get rid of them, says Stubbs. Though to everyone else, the problem is obvious. These things may be alive. They may be sentient. They can't just kill them or get rid of them. Whichever. Picard says they'll try to rid themselves of the nanites safely, just in case they are alive and intelligent. Though they'll work on a more drastic plan on the chance that something more drastic will be needed. Nuts to that, says Stubbs. He hits a small part of the ship's computer with a high burst of gamma radiation. There seems to be no reaction, except for the poisonous gas that's now filling the bridge. Riker clears that out, but the ship is back to all flashing lights and violent shakes. Act 4. Picard is aware of Stubbs' action, though Stubbs says, too bad. You have to turn these things off now. But Data says, guess what, Bonehead? You basically proven that the nanites are alive and intelligent. You killed some of them. As a result, the rest tried to kill the people on the Enterprise. This is more than just a malfunctioning machine, so... Way to go, you. Worf says, yeah, the ship is at risk. We actually may have to kill these things. Picard sets Data to work on establishing contact actual communication with the nanites. Stubbs is confined to his quarters, though Troy stops by. Dude, you are seriously driven, like to the point of there being almost no there there. Just your work. I know, right? Thanks for stopping by. Data is still working on establishing communication with the nanites, a shot we see just to denote the passage of time. A bit later, we see Stubbs replaying a baseball game in his head. Then we see the nanites try to kill him. Him, specifically. In sickbay, a very weak stub says to Picard, Okay, I really need you to kill these things now, okay? Reluctantly, Picard sets about the task. They'll gamma irradiate the ship's entire computer at just the right moment, which should be... Hold on! Data has done it. He's made contact with the nanites. That was painfully close. Act 5. Ugly bags of mostly water! Is what they said in home soil. Sub home soil! The nanites are a bit simpler. They're just learning the concept of communication. Though Data says they could 
try saying hello. Picard has Stubbs brought to the bridge as well. You tell them you're sorry, mister. Maybe then we can negotiate our way out of this. Data has an idea. Might just be easier to let the nanites take over his body and talk to Stubbs and the Enterprise crew face to face. It's risky. They may not want to leave Data. But Picard says, eh, give it a go. Taking over Data's body, the nanites say the crew members look strange. Maybe so, says Picard, but we can all get along. The nanites wonder aloud why the Enterprise tried to kill them. Yeah, when you were eating our computer, we thought you were trying to kill us. Oh, and have you met the guy who actually pulled the trigger on your... beings? Oh, they know who he is. Stubbs says he deeply regrets his action. The exploration of the nanites put his life's work at risk. No excuse, though. He's at the mercy of the nanites. They don't know what mercy is. But Picard simplifies the situation. Look, you made mistakes. Stubbs made mistakes. Now let's make peace and start over. The nanites agree. They've also outgrown the Enterprise and its crew. Both are too confining. Dr. Stubbs uses his influence with Starfleet to get the nanites their own planet. The nanites use their intimate knowledge of the Enterprise to fix the Enterprise. Stubbs finally gets to lay his egg. The end. Except for the part where Dr. Crusher is worried about Wes. Then she sees him acting like a normal kid and gets really worried. To be continued. All right. Yeah, more to come. More nice to come, yeah. Said, there's, uh, yeah, to be, because, you know, he's a growing boy. He is. He is. He is. Yeah. Um, it, it, speaking of which, Wesley being a growing boy, mm-hmm. um, I noticed it in that opening shot where he's got the, the mess of crumbs on his plate. <laughs> and, and I guess, because I was really intrigued by this. and This I was thinking, bothers right, you a lot. This bothers you a lot. Yeah. It does, because I thought he was eating a sandwich, maybe, but then by the look at it, I would say that he has no idea how to eat a sandwich or how sandwiches work. So it's interesting to me. You're so concerned about his table manners. I'm concerned with his Jimmy Neutrino hair. <laughs> he does. He's got new hair. It's a new season. It's new hair, Ken. It's new season, new hair. Same old mom, though. When mom says, I've missed him growing two inches, she meant the hair. It was all hair. It really mm-hmm. was. Actually, it seemed like it was insulting. I've missed about two inches of him. Okay, well, mm-hmm. first of all, <laughs> he's not he's comfortable with the like, image. And second, right. yeah. you know, which what's like, so what? Like, just, just the part right between his eyebrow and his forehead. That That's always <laughs> been my favorite part, because they kiss it. Mm-hmm. That's uh-huh. my favorite part of my kid. The rest of it, yeah. Just, yeah don't care. <laughs> transport that elsewhere. Just leave me a little forehead boy and I'll be fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, She's got new hair, too, by the way. She does. Yeah. She does. Yeah. And it's it, weird. That, I can't remember her old hair, but I, I do know that this doesn't look right to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, a technical question for you, Ken. All the right. nanites, the yeah. nanites release the poison gas on the bridge. Mm-hmm. If I'm designing a starship, <laughs> okay, <laughs> if I'm designing a starship, yep. I'm going to keep the poison gas containers far mm-hmm. away from the bridge or, frankly, any place that has uh, ventilation to areas where people might be. Okay, well, first of all, you're assuming that they have poison gas containers just right there. It's possible that the nanites, I mean, because they, they actually are little bodies as well, right? So they could have mm-hmm, even constructed mm-hmm. their own, like, tubes from where they are and where the gas is, you know, to the to the bridge. That's that. That's giving for for a bunch of nanites that have been just tearing apart computers. Yeah. So some of them got together and said, "Hey, yeah, this idea. We're gonna yeah. build tubes." Yep. All right. Well, they understood poison gas. 
So <laughs> then they, they did. and they understood what poison gas would do. So why not, you know, go ahead and, you know, figure out, oh, but how do we get the poison gas there? Oh, I'm just a simple nanite. I couldn't possibly say that. But if we could figure <laughs> out a way, then we could kill them. That yeah, other I, entity could just use the computer to talk. Yeah, the, the other thing, you know? by the way, really yeah. quickly, though, the other thing yeah. is I can think of times in the past where Kirk might have said, you know what we need? We, you know what we need on the bridge is poison gas. Because mm-hmm. that thing took over those kids, took over the Gorgon. Oh, took a, oh God, does it all go back to the kids? And well, the no, Gorgon. my point is, I mean, there are reasons that you might want to be able to flush the, uh, flush yeah. the Enterprise air or fl- yeah. flush the bridge air anyway. Yeah. Just a um, thought. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll go with that. Um, hey, and uh, there's a food slot in sickbay, and I wondered mm-hmm. why that was there instead of a replicator. <laughs> I was wondering that, too. It's not making you know, food. Yeah. Like everybody else. Gets a replicator, and yep. she's just got, like, a tube of some water in it. Yeah, and the computer was like, uh, oh, no, the food slot's fine. And I was really <laughs> surprised the computer wasn't like, food slot? What, like, what, what do they have at Starfleet? <laughs> right, what are you talking right. about? We have replicators here, and you should mm-hmm. know that if you hadn't skipped a season. Exactly, yeah. Um, now, uh, by the way, the, the Enterprise computer, it, it, it screws up in, well, one of the many instances it screws up here after the nanites play with it, uh, making a fake alert about a Borg ship nearby. <laughs> yep. All right. Now, we didn't actually see it on the view screen this time, right. but it brings up the problem that we just had with peak performance, with the computer being easily hacked to give false readings to the crew. And we got a lot of mail and a lot of comments about that. And, and people were saying, well, well, of course, of course the Enterprise computer has to do this with CG and do that, but because when you're traveling at light speed, you, how, how are you going to use a camera? And, blah, blah. and my whole contention was, this just seems like a bad way for it to be the only way yeah. to, to see what's coming. Yeah, it, <laughs> you know? it's quite possible that the Enterprise has never actually faced off against a foe. Right, right. The whole time is just computer games. Yeah, we don't yeah. even know. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, the whole thing's like a virtual reality thing. We wait at the very end of it, the very last episode. Uh, Bob Newhart and Suzanne Pochette wake up <laughs> and yeah. say, "That was just nuts." Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Um, a little return to the uh, the chess moves. A little shout out there to whom gods destroy. I know we missed that, and. Um, you know, yet again, we've got a, a single-minded scientist who can't see the reality of the situation. You know, he'd rather die and take the rest of the crew with him, and he lacks empathy and all this stuff. And I just kept thinking, I can picture an office at Federation headquarters where the top brass who pick out all the scientists mm-hmm. are just totally fed up with their jobs. It's just <laughs> like these guys with these stacks of files around them going like, Corby? Oh, I haven't seen that guy in ages. And, and Daystrom? Oh, 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 can we just forget about him? And, and Dr. Sung, he was fun at parties, but but just no, no. And then and then Stubbs, oh, please get him far away from us. Just get him as far away from Earth as you can. All right, there, there are two things I'll say to that. Mm-hmm. First of all, you skip Dr. Tristan Adams. Tristan Adams, get and him that, out of that here. That makes me sad because <laughs> he's one of my favorites. I mean, of course, Roger <laughs> Corby is my favorite. Yeah, of course. But uh, close runner-up is Dr. Tristan Adams. Um, yeah. The other thing I'll say is he must have done something for someone somewhere along the way because the very end of this episode, they're like, uh, Captain's Log Supplemental. So, yeah, Dr. Uh, Doctor, What's-His-Name? I've already forgotten. Stubbs. Stubbs. Dr. Yeah. Stubbs uh, got the Nanites a planet. Because yeah. he's got that kind of yeah. pull. He's got that kind of pull yeah. with the Federation. Captain's Log Supplemental, he needed a planet. They gave him a planet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, he's been a bit and, of a jerk on the Enterprise. My assumption is he's much nicer <laughs> in an office setting. 
Right. I, I would hope so. And, and you have to wonder what will become of that planet in a few years. Those things eat and reproduce like crazy. Right. So, yeah, no, I actually, I actually, in my head, they're the Borg. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, that's what they are. And they will have mastered time travel, you know, somehow, because we know that you can do that just by slingshotting around the sun. If the, uh, mm-hmm. if the original series or the movies taught us anything, mm-hmm. that is how you go back in time. It's not going to take these things long to figure that out. I mean, they've probably assimilated all of the information from the Enterprise, uh, from yeah. the Enterprise computer anyway. Heck, they actually would know about the Borg now. They would. Yeah. This, they they, would. The Enterprise may have actually... Wesley Crusher may have created the <laughs> Borg. Or, or Wesley Crusher may have come up with a way to defeat the Borg. Think about mm. that. Now, now, if we were to go back to that planet years from now, yeah, and maybe the Borg have found that planet too, and these little nanites are like, hey, the, these, these things that are trying to attack us and take us over, they're terrible. They're the worst. <laughs> they're the worst. We're, just, we're going to infect their computer systems and eat their computers from the inside out. So they've, they, they've got a little bit of uh, a defensive maneuver there. Interesting line from Guinan. I've never been good at being confined to quarters, as my husband will attest. Mm-hmm. Um, a little uh, insight into her background. Maybe we'll find out more down the road. And um, what did you make of daydreaming about baseball, uh, that, that that's what Stubbs is doing? Now, I have read that this was um, – Michael Pillar's love of baseball, and he is specifically referencing one game, um, which the the details escape me because a I didn't write it down, and b I, I know nothing about baseball. Yeah, um, but I've heard this about people who can, you know, like play the game in their heads. Mm-hmm. You know, they they know the details, they know who is where, and they can just sort of like revisualize the game in their heads. So. One of my favorite episodes of the X-Files, and, and like you, I'm not a baseball fan. I mean, I like going to the park and watching a game, and yeah. as as we record this, actually, we're about two weeks away or maybe a week and a half away from uh, Star Wars night at the park Oh, in my oh, local city, right. so I'm kind of excited dressing up like Boba Fett and going to watch baseball, because why not? Cool. It'll be hard to eat the hot dog, but I'll make dough. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite episodes of the X-Files, though, was all about um, uh, the Greys, which were uh, mm. a team in the Negro American League in the mm-hmm. 1940s or 50s, I guess, that, that Fox Mulder is very interested in. And the reason he's interested in it is because he believes that one of the players on the team was actually an alien, was actually a oh, gray, was cool. one of the gray aliens. But he does this fantastic monologue about, about how just reading the box score mm-hmm. of a baseball game can tell you so much. It can tell you the weather. It can tell you who was having a good day, who was having a bad day. It can tell you the length of time that people would have been sitting there. And I mean that sort of that sort of um, romanticism around the game is kind of interesting. I, I watched that episode honestly, and, and I wish I could just get over my intense like boredom every time like I flip mm-hmm. on a baseball mm-hmm. game, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, is it nap time already? I didn't realize. And uh, finally, Ken, we uh, you mentioned that we said goodbye to Dr. Pulaski, mm-hmm. um, and I, I really think that, you know, not only was Dr. Crusher better written here than a lot of what we saw of her in season one, I was glad that they addressed it, because so far we've seen a lot of episodes, maybe they'll reference another episode here and there, um, but there's not a lot of big arcs and a lot of big character arcs, and I thought what was clever in this episode is that even if you had not seen season two, even if you hadn't seen season one, mm-hmm. you get that information out very quickly. 
that she was away and she's back and she's concerned. Like I thought all of that stuff played out very nicely. And, um, and I thought we, it, it was sort of this welcome return. Now you and I talked a lot about how we liked Dr. Pulaski. Yeah. Um, but I, I liked what they did with Crusher here. I thought it played out, played out naturally and very well. The pressure under which Dr. Stubbs lives is sad. You would think he would know that he cannot do this all on his own. No, he knows. He is no Superman. So let's really quickly hit something that I said was not important in the recap. Because it's not important, but I found it kind of interesting. Um... I said during the recap that what they were there to study in the binary star system didn't matter to the story, but there is a detail about it that I like. Uh, what's happening is this large star is throwing off some sort of stellar matter that is actually being consumed by the small star. And in the end, uh, that small star uh, blows up, basically. It's not destroyed, but it, it like pushes off all this neutrino energy, I believe it is, or something pseudoscience. Or maybe it's even real science, but to me, it's pseudoscience. What I loved though was the was was uh, sort of the sort of the visual comparison of what's going on between the small star and the big star and the nanites and the enterprise. And it, again, I don't think it, it's not important to the story, but as I was watching it the second or third time, um, I really liked the fact that they that they talked about oh this is this much smaller thing is consuming something from this much larger thing and it will be like incredibly destructive, and we'll learn from it. Hmm. Oh, it's like a dumb show. It's like a dumb show, basically, for the entire episode. It's like if you're missing what's going on here, this tiny little thing that's created by this other thing uh, could wreak havoc, but there is a learning opportunity here as well. Uh, and now go ahead and watch that play out over 48 minutes instead of in the 30-second recap that we just got from Dr. Kelso. <laughs> um, you know, isn't it, I, I did not even think about that at all. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, it's uh, not—it's not even really a thing, except it is a thing. I mean, it's just—it's there. It's like an illustration. It's like mm. a little cartoon of what's of, of the rest of the episode, in a way. Right, right. Well, and I feel like that's what's going on in a lot of this episode is that there are so many moments where, if you are not clued in as to what the episode is about, they're mm-hmm. going to tell you what the episode is about at every turn. So, <laughs> Guinan is there to name drop Doctor Frankenstein. Yeah. There's now, now do you think no- she thinks that she was actually friends with Dr. Frankenstein? Are we to believe in the Star Trek universe there actually was Dr. Frankenstein? There actually was, yeah. Or is and, she and just being cute? I think she, I hope she was just being cute about it. I hope she was she- too, but she kept saying, you know, a friend of mine said that, Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah. I guess then, though, Crusher uh, uh, would have been like, you knew Dr. Frankenstein? <laughs> As opposed to just, yeah, 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 I get it. Pseudo mom, yeah. bartender I've read mom. All these books. <laughs> I love his work. I'm actually basing an experiment right now. That I'm. D- <clears throat> yeah, I, I was hoping that that was not an indication of. Like, I feel I certain it's not. I, it, yeah, it, it's got to be a literary reference on her part. Well, and I like it sometimes when when a, a piece of fiction will reference another piece of fiction to indicate either that that thing is real, yeah, or that that thing is definitely fake. So, like, if you have characters in a TV show who are doing something like watching Star Trek or what, like Mad Men did that. Mad Men, you have a character writing a script for Star Trek. Yes, you do. So, 
And what it does is it sort of indicates to you as it says, okay, well, this world of Mad Men is real. That thing on Star Trek is fiction. You know, it is still fake. So for Guinan, yeah, I, I like to think she was just playing with him and she was referencing the book Frankenstein by Mary Shelley and not the actual Dr. Frankenstein. Who who knows? Who knows? Maybe he was a real guy. Um, <laughs> but uh, I hope not. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I also thought that you know Stubbs uh, they overplayed his they overplayed his single mindedness a bit. So he, he's you know essentially his his lines there and and the intention behind his lines is stuff like uh, how does a machine evolve? Who cares? Call mm-hmm. an exterminator. This is nonsense. You can't have a civilization to computer chips. This guy is a scientist. And for a scientist, he's acting like an idiot. Um, well, he's acting like a single-minded individual who's worked on one thing for the past 20 years. Sure. I mean, he's he has said this is his ticket. This is it. This is the one thing that his whole life has led to. If, if this doesn't happen, he might as well have not existed as far yeah. as he's concerned. Yeah. Which, you know, again, you have to wonder that office back at the Federation, like, how are they how are they doing a psychoanalytical profile of these people to say, yeah, let's put that person on a starship and put them in danger. Let's let them go do this thing. Well, but I mean, see also whoever it was that was flying with the traveler. Mm -hmm. He didn't know what he was doing and he knew he didn't know what he was doing, but he thought he just kept getting lucky. And so, I mean, he keeps pushing ships and pushing ships and pushing ships and ends up nearly destroying the crew of the Enterprise and the Enterprise itself. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's just he's single minded in his in his goal and his passion. I mean, this is a this is a sort of this is a standard thing. Right. This is cats in the cradle. I mean, this this is like, you know, the, the, the psych profile on these people would prevent them from necessarily acting out that way oh, well you gotta stop though come on dude you, yeah. gotta, you gotta quit i mean at some point you gotta go okay well it's it's parable right sure 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 of course i mean i mean so that's what it is so i mean don't don't talk about the psych profile because then then the whole thing falls apart <laughs> but <laughs> there has to be some suspension of disbelief ah one of these jerks because we get these jerks from time to time don't worry oh, about, I, I, don't worry about how we get the jerks it's just Star ah, Trek get another is- one Star Trek is full of them. Anybody who's above the rank of captain is a yes. total jerk. And now anybody who's a scientist is insane. Yeah. They're all Frankenstein, as far as we're concerned. Yeah. Um, I, I do have to hand it to Picard, though, because he, he has a reasoned and rational reaction to what's going on. Mm-hmm. This whole thing with Wesley is played out very well. A lot has changed in a year. And I, I would say it's one of the best episodes for him that we've seen. No one tells him to shut up. He's treated like an adult, even though we have these nice counterbalances to that with the concerned mother acting like he is still a child, which he is. Um, but her moments with Picard were great. To uh, Just that one line, no, tell me who he is. Tell me what he is about. And then Picard not freaking out at the realization that Wesley may definitely have had something to do with this. Yeah, uh, he probably should have answered for it a little bit, though. Oh, sure. I mean, do we oh, assume sure. that that happened, like, after the closing credits? Because he... <laughs> right. I right. mean, at some point, somebody should have said to him, you know, there's a reason that we keep these things uh, tightly controlled in individual jars by themselves. Well, it's interesting. In fact, let's, go, let's, let's go really quickly. I mean, you, you, we talked about the fact that Wes may have created life or the Borg or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, this must have happened before. Have these things actually gotten together before and taken over another ship or another planet? Because they're being treated like a um, they're being treated like a toxin. Right, right. 
Yeah. Well, but remember the the ones that the ones that were being used medically, or however else we were using them, they had not been programmed the way that Wesley did. Wesley had programmed them to work together. Right. So these little individual things, they have information, they have duties that they're assigned to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but Wesley was the one who came. Now, why it took Wesley, after all this time that apparently we've been using nanobots to do things, why it took him to say, what if they work together? <laughs> I don't know. Well, no, but again, I mean, all of these security precautions were already in place. I mean, mm-hmm. when Crusher is explaining what happened, she starts by saying they're usually kept, like, heavily contained. They're usually kept individually. This doesn't usually happen. So you're saying, well, it takes somebody as smart as Wes to do this. But, I mean, they're already operating. They already seem to be operating under the assumption that, hey, you know, if two of these things get together, it could be bad news. Oh, no. What, I, what I'm saying is that Wesley's science experiment is probably not that original because probably somebody else already figured that out. Right. That you don't do that. that that's <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, good words from Deanna. Uh, I, I thought it was an interesting scene talking about the self-portrait. All played out with very high-sounding metaphor, but um, but it, it was one of the it was one of the few times where somebody really fought back with her. Mm-hmm. We've seen it every now and then. But usually what happens at the end of that scene is the person breaks. Hmm. And in this one, he didn't. <laughs> he was just like, yeah, I got a self-portrait. Back off. Yeah. You know, it reminded me of actually, because he didn't just say I've got a self-portrait. He said, you know, you look under the self-portrait, you look behind the self-portrait, you look through mm. it. There may be nothing there. I could yeah. not help thinking of what Riker told Minuet. Mm. I am my work. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. and, 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 and Dr. Kelso is fine with that at this point. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Stubbs. You know, I kept doing the whole, the whole <laughs> Stubbs, episode. Yeah. Lord, I don't want no stubs. That's what kept happening the whole time I'm preparing for this show. So stubs, I mean, says to her, yeah, look, there's nothing else there. This is who I am at this point. This is what I am at this point. Um, Mm. It's interesting because you think that there's no self-awareness to this guy. And there is, in fact, uh, self-awareness. He is 100% comfortable with with the fact that there is no there there as far as he's concerned. On a quiet day, he's going to play through another baseball thing. He's right. not. He's never going to sit with himself. He's never going to be at ease with himself. Either he's going to succeed and be remembered forever, or he's going to fail and be forgotten. Right. He's never going to, you know, stop and smell the roses, paint a picture. <laughs> do, I mean, do anything that like a like a like a what are those things called? Person might do. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe like Riker, he needs a little time in the holodeck. Maybe. Yeah, that maybe. Would, although uh, he seemed to disdain that. No, yeah. I don't. I know yeah. I don't go to the holodeck. I I have memorized baseball games instead yeah. because who wants yeah. to? No, no. Uh, watching baseball is far too exciting. <laughs> yeah, right. Sorry, yeah. I'm I'm sorry. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get mail. Yeah, uh, right. Um, I don't know if uh, well, hopefully people remember that we had Phil Plate, the bat astronomer, on our show a long time ago, and um, not that long ago he wrote an article called "Is Star Trek Tech Possible?" It's kind of cool. He just went through the list and like here are things that Star Trek proposes: transporters and warp drive and all this stuff. So, uh, from a scientific point of view, I'm going to say in shorthand whether I think it'll work or not, or what the challenges are. Um, so you can take a look. If you look up, is Star Trek tech possible by Phil Plate, you'll find the article. Um, and just very quickly, he goes down the list. You know, transporters, no. Warp drive, no, until proven otherwise. Replicators, see transporters above. Um, but I'm really intrigued by nanotechnology. And he says, as far as nanotech goes, maybe. 
that, that there are strides being made in that world now. And the question really just becomes one of engineering and not of physical laws. There are no physical laws saying you can't build nano machines that potentially could have medical applications or engineering applications. Um, so I think this is a, a, a cool place for scientific investigation to go. And it, it's nice to see it played out in, in a pop culture piece of fiction like that to get an idea of, uh, of them being a part of our lives. And uh, hopefully when they're working right, uh, sometimes when they're not working correctly at all. Dr. Studs finally got to lay his egg. Did the start of season three lay an egg as well? everybody just like wesley bringing two nanobots together to see if they could be better than the sum of their parts that's oh, what we'll attempt to do now i'm uncomfortable with this already <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't like where it was going i know what i should have waited i should not have interrupted i apologize at can, first can though, we're, we're, I was gonna, like, we're going to bring the the gigabytes of knowledge and our brains yeah. together All to right. see to see if we can parse the important meanings and messages and morals of this episode. And hopefully, hopefully, that answer will be better than, than our assessment individually. Now, I'm not saying we're going to take over a computer or we're yeah. going to get our own planet in the end. Yeah. We're not, probably that will not happen. No. But what we, what we will do is we'll come up with some answers here, I hope. All right. So, so you go first. Yeah. Does the episode hold up? Well, uh, let me start, first of all, by thanking you for thinking that there are gigabytes of information in my brain. Oh, at least. That's, that's very kind at of you least. because I am not always certain that that is the case. <laughs> Does this episode hold up? I like, the, um, I like the changes. They were subtle. I mean, it's not like when you get the Enterprise 1701E or like when you might one day possibly get an Enterprise after the 1701D because I don't know if that's ever going to happen or not. Mm-hmm. You don't get all kinds of like, oh, look, we got this new thing and that new thing and all this new stuff. We talked about, you know, the changes in the camera work. We talked about the changes in the wardrobe, which are subtle. Yeah. I love the fact that Dr. Stubbs is standing there in a blazer that I might wear. Mm-hmm. There's, there's something really interesting. There's something almost more. They've been very 24th century to this point, you know, yeah. and now it's yeah. like oh, yeah, 24th century. Yeah, but, you know, you're going to get to the 24th century and here you might see. You know, stuff that you would recognize, not just some idiot from the 20, 20th century, you know, that we accidentally unfreeze. Um, so, I mean, production-wise, I like that, but that's not something that somebody would notice if they were just sitting down watching their first ever episode of Star Trek. If, they, if this happened to be the first thing they saw, they wouldn't see those changes, but it, the way we watch it, it, it feels important to mention those. I mean, in that respect, you're actually watching this show kind of evolve, and, and not, to, not to make a joke about the evolution thing, but kind of evolve and kind of grow. And that's pretty neat to see. As far as the story itself, I mean, I joked earlier that it was Cats in the Cradle, but I mean, in a way, it kind of is. I mean, this guy is just totally obsessed with work, and that ends up being detrimental. Um, But it's a a good message, I suppose. And I'm skipping to the message part. I apologize. Does the production itself hold up? Yes. I think today the nanites would look a little bit different. I think they wouldn't move in like a left, right, up, down (laughs) <laughs> and that's it. Right. Um, given a little more money, the nanites might have actually come out of the computer and made their own face rather than taking over data. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that seemed a little 
I assume that that's Brent Spiner doing that thing that he does where he gets to play another character, where he gets to play another voice. I mean, because it actually did seem a little too risky to do, and it seemed like something that Picard wouldn't have necessarily gone for. You know, I mean, they've tried to kill them now like five times. (laughs) You know, but Picard's going to be like, oh, no, that's cool, go ahead. Um, Overall, though, yeah, I I would say it holds up. It's not... It's not... It's weird to go back almost 50 years as we record this. It's not the Corbomite Maneuver, but it's not Code of Honor. Um, and, and those are, I think, probably your, your, your two extremes. It's a good episode. It's a fine episode. It's not one that you're going to be talking about for years necessarily, but there's definitely stuff in there to talk about. What about you? Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the changes because I, I really appreciated that about this episode, that, that they're able to, particularly in the scenes with Dr. Crusher, ju- just kind of bridge the gap and make it all make sense and play out logically. And and um, it, it wasn't like, here's an all new season with all new stuff and a flashy new ship. Yeah, it, it wasn't that at all. Um, and I, I also like the costume. I really do like the two-piece uniforms that they have because they look more normal. They mm-hmm. just look they look like a thing that you would see in a military-ish setting um, as opposed to the spandex thing that is meant to telegraph to the audience, look, it's the future. When shows play in the future, uh, and particularly in the distant future like that, it tends to be two extremes. It's the one-piece super-tight spandex outfits, or it's like medieval-looking robes. Mm-hmm. Somehow you're, you're telegraphing that it's the future by having people wear robes. And I always thought that was weird. You know, yeah. People would have jackets, and they'll have pants, and they'll, you know, they'll probably have pockets. Yeah. You know, as you notice, like, Stubbs puts his hands in his pockets. And I was like, yeah, that's relatable. Yeah. You know? Firefly does an excellent job of that. Joss Whedon's Firefly sure, does an excellent yeah. job of that. And yeah. the way they do it is by everybody's flying in space. That's pretty much enough science fiction for you. You know, mm-hmm. nobody, <laughs> right. has a, nobody has a laser weapon because we haven't mastered laser weapons yet. But guess what? We've mastered space travel. So we yeah. know at this point, okay, we're talking for our future, but... Yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to wear as spandex as you say, or plastic. Though, if you want to, hey, <laughs> go right ahead. You know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, this episode really feels like Star Trek. Now, it's not amazing. It's not mind blowing, but it's just solid. Mm-hmm. You know, it it feels like Star Trek. I'm glad that you mentioned home soil because it, it is very reminiscent of that episode and and the dynamic was very much like many of Kirk's run-ins in the past. Kirk saying, I have to save my ship and then the idiot saying, but I have to do my thing so I don't care about your ship mm-hmm. even though that person is on the ship and will die right along with them. Right. Um, you know, the problem that I have with episodes like this is, is that the other guy is almost always clearly in the wrong mm-hmm. and there's not really a lesson to be picked up from that. It's just that the guy is a jerk. And we shouldn't be jerks. And we have to look out for others instead of just ourselves. You know, Stubbs is acting purely in self-interest. And, and when people act that way in real life, well, there are only problems that follow. So it's not really a lesson there for that part of it. Um, but it does, like I said, it, it plays out like a lot of Star Trek. I'm, I'm not 100% certain that I agree with your assessment there. When people only think of themselves, I mean, there are some people who do very well doing that. I think that was actually, if you don't mind my skipping mm-hmm. the message part, that's sure, yeah, one of the yeah. things that bothers me about this episode. Uh, you mm-hmm. would think that one of the messages would be, uh, you know, you are more than your work or you need to look out for other people as well. Except Stubbs doesn't actually learn any of those lessons. Nope, not at all. And uh, while, while Crusher is catching Wes on a bad week, Wes is not so laser focused that he misses life and that he's not concerned mm-hmm. about other people. I mean, he goes skiing on the holodeck. 
He plays mm-hmm. ball with the Edo. He falls in love with giant, hairy monster girls. <laughs> he hangs out in a bar. Yeah. At, at the tender age yeah. of 17, he hangs out in a bar. But he's got a <laughs> life, you know? Yeah. Um, honestly, as far as lessons go, it feels like a better lesson might have been for his mom. Just because you think you know everything doesn't mean you know everything. Um, yeah. I don't know. She doesn't seem to learn that lesson, though. It's, I mean, it's interesting to see her, as you talked about, be more of like a real mom. Mm-hmm. In this episode, uh, certainly than she was in the first season. Mm-hmm. As far as lessons, though, I mean, I don't know. Uh, think of something besides yourself and your goal. Stubbs nearly got everybody killed to achieve his goal. That's totally uncool. Where I disagree yeah, with you right. is I would love it if in life those people eventually got their comeuppance. They don't always get their comeuppance. Sometimes they just get richer. <laughs> sometimes they so, just get more powerful. That, yeah, I mean yeah. That, that that's it's sad, but it's certainly true in, yeah. in some cases. I don't think all cases. No, but, I don't think all cases. Yeah, but yeah. I, don't, I don't think we could possibly know about all cases. You yeah. know, yeah. I mean, I knew, I knew someone. Yeah, eh, that's that's bad. Never mind. I know somebody who was a jerk his whole life, and you know what? He died. He died a jerk, but he died. I mean, you know, it's not like he didn't eventually repent. He didn't eventually no, go, oh, no. what was me? Why was I ever this way? No, nah, he pretty much just kept doing what he did until he dropped dead. Sure. You know, so, I mean, sure. I mean, it's nice to think that ah, one day they'll get theirs. I think this is where we get the idea of heaven and hell, but that goes to a completely different thing. Yeah, well, and that is a realistic thing about Stubbs here, like you mentioned, is that he, he doesn't have to change. Yeah. Maybe, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, I agree with you. Uh, uh, don't, you know... Don't develop a science project that, that <laughs> kill people. Um, you know that's please that's a good li- yeah. Please, please yeah. don't do that. Um, and you know this idea that Star Trek has had before about um, language and understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, to, making sure that you're speaking the same language, so that you're on the same page, so you can actually do things like apologize and end conflict. You know, we, we've seen that on the macro scale where. Um, the the Enterprise will help uh, well not the Enterprise but the crew and Picard in particular will help negotiate a settlement get people talking uh, from one side to another or we saw it in Devil in the Dark where it's it's Spock trying to speak to the emotions of the Horda so that everybody can understand what actually is going on mm-hmm. um, and, and that's all it took in this episode is figuring out well how do we find common ground how do we communicate how do we express the needs that each other has because otherwise it would have just escalated to the point of those nanobots taking over the enterprise and eating it to death let's i mean can, can we do that really quickly so yeah, yeah. Wh- which which ones did you say again you said devil in the dark yeah devil in the dark for sure home soil oh sure home soil yeah you, you have to have the enterprise crew actually talking to that creature that that yeah. otherwise you would not have been able to talk to and what's you the- also had uh, Picard taken over by the well, the computer first taken over by an, an alien entity, and that alien entity jumps its way into Picard. In um, oh oh oh, our listener is going to be so the one with the thing. Yes, the one with the yeah, thing. I remember that. that. Yeah, uh, elementary dear data. They're actually having to communicate with this with this implacable foe that was created of the computer as well. Oh, of course. It's interesting, yeah. actually, because yeah, 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 yeah. this is a theme that comes up again and again, but it occurs to me, even the one with the Brinloidy or the Brinloidy or whatever, the, the, the mm-hmm. Irish the, the, the Irish Spring commercial yeah. come to life uh, on that planet. Fire. Yeah, yeah, that was still, even that was Picard going, look, you two have, like, one problem, and there's really one solution, even though mm-hmm. you can't see it. Let me... 
It's really interesting. I wonder how many of the episodes that we've watched so far, of the 143 episodes of Star Trek that we've watched so far, could yeah. be actually just boiled down to to that one. Uh, the, the Terratan incident. Oh, of course. My goodness. Of course. Well, and uh, how about... Every episode of Star Trek is about one thing. How about uh, <laughs> where... where um, is it where Silence has lease with uh, Riva, uh, who is the deaf? Oh, uh, right. Yeah. You know, that, and he's explaining to Picard and explaining to uh, uh, Troy how he goes about getting the sides to find common ground and talk to each other. Wow. How did so, we not hit on this before? That's kind of mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. It's, it's a new day for Mission Long. I guess so. <laughs> so does it hold up? Eh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, no, I'd I would say, say so. Yeah, that those are valuable lessons. I, I think that this episode doesn't. I, I feel like this episode, at least on the surface, is just pretty much like eh, the thing gets out of control and the the doctor is a jerk. Not Doctor Crusher, Doctor Stubbs. Mm-hmm. Um, the resolution is interesting, and the resolution that like that's why I said it feels like Star Trek. It feels like solid Star Trek, but it's not mind blowing Star Trek. Yeah. So, so I give it a pass for that, and I give the the lessons kind of a pass for that too. Yeah, I'd say it's fine. I mean, there's nothing you know except for the fact that the that the that the jerk of the week is always a jerk of the week, or almost mm-hmm. always a jerk of the week. Mm-hmm. Except for that part, I think it's actually it's it's a it's a it's a fairly strong episode. Yeah, no, yeah. not the best that you that you've got. But if this happens to be your first episode of Star Trek, you might see enough here to go, yeah, okay, I'd give it another shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at Roddenberry.com, along with things like, oh, convention schedules and products and the Star Trek census and original productions by Roddenberry Entertainment, like the graphic novels Worth and Days Missing. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, please check out Trek FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, the Ensigns of Command. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at k-i-theory.com. And then the whole thing starts over, and it takes 196 years to build up again. And it does it. Wow. I very much heard that. Wow. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> must have been a, I'm so sorry. That's all right. My, my I'll see if I can not. pick up. <laughs> hey, Rod. Am I boring you guys? <laughs> no. Oh, I'm sorry. You heard that? And transmission. <laughs>